for joining me on this special preview episode of the Portable Grindhouse podcast. I'm your host, Sebastian Seymour, and I wish I had a catchy tagline for the show, but I've never been a quick wit for these sorts of things, and when all I have to work with is a collection of weak movies presented by a heretofore unknown host, the best I can offer is that I'm watching these movies so you don't have to. There's a whole lot of truth in that statement, which I'm sure you'll figure out for yourself if you make it to the end of the show. Let me start by saying, I've never made a podcast before. In fact, I've never even been a guest on a podcast. Which I don't think is all that surprising, as I can't say I have what you'd call friends. They're more like disembodied voices in my head. Of course, now I'm just a disembodied voice in your head. I wonder if that means anything. It's probably not important. What is important is that you're here and I'm here. So let's not worry too much about my lack of podcasting experience and use our time together to watch some movies and have a conversation about Grindhouse Cinema. But for now, let's dig into what Grindhouse Cinema actually is. As there seems to be a fair amount of debate over what qualifies as Grindhouse, I've put together what I think is the best description of Grindhouse Cinema as it applies to this podcast. Simply put, the Grindhouse, as a cultural artifact in the United States, refers to a theater or cinema distinguished by three criteria. It shows a variety of films in continuous succession, has low admission fees, the movies screened are frequently of poor quality or low artistic merit. While I'm confident I have the first two items covered, I'm planning to release a new episode of the podcast every Saturday, and you can't get a lower admission price than free, it's the last item in that list. Poor quality or low artistic merit. To me, That single statement is the defining principle of what the Portable Grindhouse podcast is all about. And from the movies I've curated for this show, it's a near certainty we won't be seeing much in the way of artistic merit here. But I can personally guarantee that the Portable Grindhouse podcast will be overflowing with poor quality. Not only from the features I screen, but from the host as well. At this point, you may be asking the same question most of my family has been asking, but to be clear... I do not know what happened to D.B. Cooper. Not precisely. Now that I've got that out of the way, let me try to explain why I'm doing this and what you can expect from the Portable Grindhouse podcast moving forward. But in order to do that, I'm going to need to provide you with a little bit of backstory. So please bear with me just a few minutes more. See, a couple three years ago, my brother-in-law decided that he wanted to move back to California, which is where I live, from where he and my sister were living in Nevada. His reasoning for this was purely professional, so he said, as he was tired of his casino job and after a conversation with his buddy Ed, got the idea to invest in some ranch land out in California's San Joaquin Valley to start his own farm. At this point, I feel it's important to say that while the idea did seem a bit odd under the circumstances, this wasn't the first time my brother-in-law just up and relocated his family to another state for some new ski business opportunity, I'm supposed to say business opportunity, which is why he was living in Nevada to begin with. So I can't say it was totally out of character for the guy, and I've certainly heard of stranger ideas, especially from him. 
Also, given that I was entirely fed up with my own job, I wasn't really in any position to criticize. But I didn't really give this conversation much thought until about a year later when my brother-in-law approached me about coming to work for him as a security guard on his massive worm farm out in Modesto. Look, I won't even pretend that it sounded like a good idea. It didn't. However, in my defense, I was not in a good headspace at the time, and my brother-in-law was offering me a ridiculous amount of money to relocate and do what I thought would be a relatively simple, straightforward, and well-paying job. And I was really struggling to keep it together where I was working, to the point where the situation was so bad that just the thought of working one more day at Continental Film Services was probably going to turn me into a serial killer. So I could either take my brother-in-law up on his offer, or I could stay in Burbank and end up like that Binford kid. I took the security job. Now... After saying all that, you might have the impression that things didn't exactly work out with that situation. So please let me dispel that impression and codify it into fact right now. It didn't work out. It appears that I grossly misunderstood what my brother-in-law meant by massive when he was explaining his worm farm idea. The worst part is, this particular turn of events dramatically reduced my employment options, and without any better alternatives... I decided to move to Oakland and start this podcast instead. It seemed a whole lot safer, and I could do the job from home. When I told my brother-in-law I was quitting, and the reason why, he took it better than I expected and said he understood. It was only then, and after a considerable amount of cajoling, that he explained the real reason he needed to move the family out of Bixby. But when my sister found out what I was planning, the first thing she asked me, the very first thing was if I worried about listeners confusing my at-grindhouse-to-go Twitter and Instagram accounts with some kind of artisanal coffee franchise. Ignoring the fact I hadn't made the podcast yet and clearly didn't have any listeners, beyond the aforementioned voices, on the surface I can see her point. That said, given what's happening on the ranch right now, she really needs to reevaluate her priorities. Because let's be honest, for this podcast, I'm figuratively the guy behind the window at the skeevy grindhouse movie theater, and if someone walks in and doesn't immediately realize they're not in a Starbucks, that's on them. On the other hand, maybe I shouldn't dismiss her comment so quickly. Maybe there is some coffee chain out there that wants to start their own delivery service or expand their product offerings. To my mind, that's a potential moneymaker. That's a revenue stream. If someone wanted to buy my Grindhouse social media account handles, I'd sell. I'd probably sell cheap, too. I take the John Waters position on this. At least I think it was John Waters who said, and I know I'm paraphrasing here, uh, I'd love to sell out completely, but the tragedy was no one's buying. I understand that sentiment. And since I have even fewer buyers than John Waters, fewer as in none if you're curious, I'll just sit here and talk about Grindhouse Cinema with these disembodied voices until someone writes me a check. Unfortunately, I have recently learned that podcasting doesn't really pay that well. Or at all, actually. And I've been sitting here for a very long time. But while I've been sitting, I've also been listening. 
listening to a lot of different podcasts focused on the themes and subgenres I'm interested in to try and get a feel for the type of content that was easily available or hard to find. Based on that, I decided the Portable Grindhouse podcast was not going to approach the movies I screen as a bog-standard review site of the movie itself, as there are already plenty of podcasts doing that much better than I ever will. And it's easy to find a movie review site or podcast that will reinforce or contradict any opinion you can imagine about the film, even a cursory look at the comments and reviews on Letterboxd are proof of that. Don't get me wrong, I've really enjoyed listening to the different perspectives from all of these podcasts, and many of them are simply outstanding, but I still felt like there was a voice missing. And that voice was very specific. What I really wanted was a 21st century version of Bob Wilkins' Creature Features. If you aren't familiar with Bob Wilkins, his successor John Stanley, or Creature Features in general, just head over to YouTube and do a search for the Golden Age of Horror Hosts, and you'll find them. It's okay. I'll wait. It goes without saying that I'm not Bob Wilkins or John Stanley and I certainly don't think I'd ever be able to fill their shoes. Even John Stanley admitted that when all he could do was fill his own combat boots with water during his audition to take over as host of Creature Features in 1979. Instead, I thought I'd try to channel the spirit of how I remember the experience of Creature Features growing up and give it a modern upgrade. In doing that, even though I will never replicate the magic of their programs, I might be able to provide a voice to the nostalgia for what I'm missing, if nothing else. And if I fail, it's not like I'll end up dying of thirst on a utility pole in Lodi. So I'm approaching these movies with nostalgia in mind, but also with an eye on the quasi-historical context of the film. And by that I mean what was happening socially, economically, or politically when audiences saw the film for the first time and how that might have influenced the way the film was received or reviewed at the time. I'm essentially asking what I think are some fairly traditional questions like, was the film ahead of its time in messaging or concept? Did it accurately predict a cultural paradigm shift or completely miss the mark on a social political change? Was the film even trying to do these things in the first place? I mean, let's be realistic. Grindhouse and creature feature flicks just scream studio cash grab. Then, through that lens, let's look at whether the movie or its premise is still relevant when we watch these films 50-plus years after their original release, and if that recontextualization provides opportunities for a modern or, dare I say, millennial audience to learn something about how important the story is or should be, irrespective of the time period it's from. But I do not want you thinking that you're going to get James Lipton inside the actor's studio or Ken Burns' quality material from this podcast. You won't. I'll wager you won't get Siskel and Ebert caliber entertainment either. If we're all being honest with each other, it should already be crystal clear you're not going to learn anything from these movies, as most of these films are likely forgotten for a very good reason. This is grindhouse cinema, after all. Poor quality, low artistic merit. Not always, just frequently. And like I said earlier, I'm watching these movies so you don't have to. But you still need to listen to the podcast. That's the important bit. 
I like to think of the Portable Grindhouse podcast as educational children's programming, like, say, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or Blue Peter if your child happened to be a member of the Adams family. In the end, I'm doing this to amuse myself, and if I can entertain others along the way, I'll be happy. And this podcast will be successful. So thank you for indulging me. But that's enough of the highbrow intellectual nonsense. Let's talk about the movies. But since this is only a preview, I don't have a movie to talk about yet. Instead, I'm going to close this episode by giving you a breakdown of the podcast's format, how I've curated the content, and where you can watch these movies online. First, for context, you have to understand that I am a lifelong resident of Northern California. I was born here. I grew up here. I'll probably die in Guyana or on some island off the coast of Ireland, which is largely a symptom of my upbringing as a child of the 1970s. As such, I grew up with Creature Features hosted by Bob Wilkins, which aired Saturday nights on KTVU Channel 2 Oakland, San Francisco from 1971 to 1979, after which the show continued its run with John Stanley until 1984. I mention this because in my preparation and research for the show, I discovered the calendar dates of 1971 and 2021 are an exact match. This gave me the idea to use the original KTVU Creature Features broadcast schedule as the list from which I would revisit these movies for the podcast. And, the delay of this preview episode notwithstanding, future shows will be available for download every Saturday just to add a touch of wistfulness to the program, like waking up to Saturday morning cartoons, Romper Room, or Tizwas. Each episode of the Portable Grindhouse podcast will run approximately 30 to 45 minutes, with the first 15 or 20 introducing the film and setting up what I'm going to discuss in the last half of the episode. I'm constructing each episode this way to provide another layer of authenticity to the original Creature Features experience. While you can certainly listen to the entire episode from start to finish, I would recommend you listen to the first half of each episode before you watch the movie, then finish listening to the podcast at the end of the picture. This works to preserve the pacing of the old Creature Features program, but it also provides me the opportunity to host watch-alongs where I will live-tweet through some of the movies on Saturday night and provide real-time interaction and commentary. It will either be a lot of fun or an unmitigated disaster. I'm curious to see what happens in either case. And because I want these films to be seen by as many people as possible without having to spend extravagant amounts of money on tracking down obscure DVDs or Blu-rays, and in keeping with the technology of the 1970s, I will try to replicate the free terrestrial broadcasts and direct you to content from YouTube, IMDb TV, Tubi, Fubo, or similar free or ad-supported services. While I have always disliked commercials and streaming services have only made my dislike of them worse, I really don't mind watching some of these flicks on ad-supported channels, as it really brings the nostalgia home for me. It adds to the experience, if you like. That one's for you, Bob. Where free or ad-supported versions of the movie aren't available, I'll direct you to subscription services like Amazon, Netflix, Shudder, Hulu, etc. If you follow me on Letterboxd, you'll have access to the show's program guide, past and upcoming movies, my reviews and comments, as well as links for where to watch. While I'm on the subject of the experience of watching old Creature Features movies, I'd like to address something that's come up during the COVID-19 pandemic. Simultaneous streaming versus theatrical exclusive releases of first-run movies. Black Widow, Dune, Halloween Kills, these are just a few that jump to my mind, 
but there are definitely others. And this has really upset some people, and that annoys me. While I do understand where many of the filmmakers and fans are coming from, I do not consider this something to get twisted over. The medium isn't as important to me as the content, but I also recognize that this is also about how filmmakers are compensated, but that's a separate argument altogether. I think that's worth mentioning here, because in the vast majority of cases, I watched virtually all of the films I'm covering for this podcast on a 17-inch Magnavox CRT console color television set via analog terrestrial broadcast. What does that mean? It means the image and sound quality for these movies was absolute garbage. That's an objective and provable fact. It's also a fact that some of these same filmmakers complaining about streaming releases developed their love of movies watching them exactly the same way I did. And you know what? We didn't care. This was what we had at the time. Even going out to the cinema was no guarantee of good picture and sound quality. The poor quality of grindhouse flicks I mentioned in the show's opening was often a problem with the venue and not the movie itself. Grindhouse theaters were notorious for poor audio, broken, damaged, or even missing film reels, and movies that ran out of focus for the entire length of the feature, which might have been like HD presentation for the myopic for all I know. But if you went to a drive-in movie, the quality was probably even worse than your more traditional movie houses. At the drive-in, you're watching through a dirty windscreen, with idiots turning on their headlights at random times during the film completely obliterating the picture on the screen, overhead PA announcements, and the film's audio being piped into your car that echoed like it was being played through a tin can. Which, in fact, was exactly what the speaker was, a really heavy tin can. None of these things made me love these movies any less or detracted from the joy of my experience. Personally, I don't have a problem watching low-quality Betamax transfers of an obscure title that someone uploaded to an obscure corner of the internet. If the film's story is solid, I will gladly forgive low production values, and I think most fans of cult grindhouse cinema feel the same. In fact, I kind of miss the rooftop forests of TV antenna, but I also love being able to stream 4K UHD over gigabit fiber. However, I also understand that this isn't 1971 and other people are not me. They just aren't going to sit through 90 minutes of weird tracking lines, washed-out colors, or warbling audio, no matter how good I tell them the movie is. More to the point, some of these movies are just so old or poorly regarded that they aren't available to stream on any platform. When that happens, I will pull directly from my personal collection of DVDs and Blu-rays and let you know if these titles are still in print and where you can get a copy for yourself if you're interested. However, that brings to mind another problem of availability. I have a suspicion that some of the movies may be lost to time and they just aren't available in any format that I consider to be in any way watchable. In those cases, I will switch to a slightly different episode format for the podcast, and I'm referring to this format as the preempt. Before the days of cable, satellite, and commercial-free television, shows were often preempted by a news broadcast, and in the 1970s, this was usually some gruesome video of the dead in Vietnam, labor union strikes, or fuel shortages, major sporting events, or something like the Jerry Lewis muscular dystrophy telethon. When stations had to cut programming or preempt their regular schedule, pulling late-night creature features was an easy choice. 
At least it was until Bob Wilkins ended up with higher ratings than the original Saturday Night Live. That's a true story. In situations where the original broadcast was preempted for something else, or if I can't locate a copy of the film that was shown, I will once again rely on Bob Wilkins and John Stanley. Because you see, while I'm focusing on the KTVU2 San Francisco broadcasts of Creature Features from 1971 to 79, Bob actually started his show on KCRA Channel 3 out of Sacramento in 1968. Bob then left KCRA for another Sacramento station, KTXL Channel 40, where he hosted a Creature Features program on Friday nights. Bob didn't give up that Friday night show when he took the job in San Francisco in 1971. Even after Bob retired from KTVU in 79, he continued his KTXL 40 show until 1981. So when the original KTVU schedule gets preempted, I'll simply change the channel to KTXL and see what's playing over there the same way I would have done as a kid. If it's something I haven't watched before and isn't part of the original 71 to 79 schedule, the KTXL movie will be the replacement. If it's something I have covered or will cover in a future episode, I'll pull directly from my personal collection of obscure titles and see if I can surprise you. But in this case, for the first proper episode of the Portable Grindhouse podcast, I'll be featuring The Mummy's Curse starring Lon Chaney Jr., Released in 1945 by Universal Studios, this is the last of Universal's Mummy series that began in 1932 with Boris Karloff and originally aired on October 2nd, 1971. So stay tuned for that. One last thing. Ratings and reviews. I'm not here to be a film critic. I'm here for the heavy dopamine hit of nostalgia and sentimentality. As such... I am fully disregarding all the standard ratings and reviews from places like IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, etc. For the Portable Grindhouse, I'm developing my own rating system based primarily on whether or not I was entertained by the movie. It's a pretty straightforward benchmark. I rate on a scale of 0 to 10. If the movie entertained me, but didn't really break any kind of new ground with story, acting, sound, special effects, but still managed to keep me engaged, you're going to get a 5. Plan 9 from Outer Space gets a 5 here in the Portable Grindhouse. Yes, the movie is bad, but it's charming as well. It's painful and cringeworthy to watch in places, but it's laugh-out-loud funny in others, for all the right and wrong reasons. And that entertains me, hence the reason it gets the 5. On the other hand, something like Adam Rifkin's The Dark Backward is a solid 10. I'd even go so far as to give The Dark Backward a spinal tap boost to its rating and call it an 11. I won't go into the details of this movie, as it will be featured on a future episode, and I don't want to spoil it. You should watch it, though. I highly recommend it. But what constitutes a zero here in the grindhouse? Two words. Battlefield Earth. I have already lost one hour and 57 minutes of my life to that abomination, and I will not give it more than a mention here. But there is a sadistic part of me that really wants to hear from people who actually love this film. Unless you're a Scientologist. Do not message me about Scientology. Seriously. So that's it. The show's over. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, please accept my humble and heartfelt apologies for the 30 minutes of your life you'll never get back. But the management here at the Portable Grindhouse 
would like me to remind you that there are no refunds under any circumstances. Why are you still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Well, that's it. I told you it was rotten.